0: First Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 to 9. Once again, that's the book of First Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 to 9. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's uh, start with a prayer. Our God and Father, we ask you, imploring you, since all wisdom, since all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, to mercifully enlighten us by your Holy Spirit in the true understanding of your word, and to give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. May we be taught by your word to place our trust only in you, and to serve and honor you as we should so that we may glorify your holy name in all our living and edify our neighbor by our good example, rendering to God the love and obedience which faithful servants owe their masters and children their parents, since it has pleased you to graciously receive us among the number of your servants and children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I'm coming up here with a little more of a sore throat than normal on Sundays. It's because, I think because of the mask, you tend to sing louder. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm just like shouting at the top of my lungs because I can't hear. So uh, if my voice is a little sore, um, I apologize. But the songs are such a blessing today. I just wanted to sing at the top of my lungs and knowing that the mask kind of, you know, as a buffer to the sound, so you can sing even louder, a little bit more off-key, although I don't recommend that. And so, um, yeah, that's why my voice might be a little bit more sore. But it's such a joy uh, to worship with you all this morning. And I did want to address certain issues before we get on to our second part of Corinthians. And um, I did want to say that it's especially difficult, I think, these days to navigate through a lot of the things we are exposed to, especially in the recent days, right? So questions like, what's right? What's wrong? What's really wrong? Is this worth getting worked up about? Or am I worked up enough? I think these are questions that a lot of us are facing. And as Christians, we are called... To be the church. This is what we went over last week. Called to worship the one true God of the Bible. Called to be holy. And you might ask, but what does that mean exactly? You know, you might think that you have a general gist of what holiness is. And then even though you have a general gist, how come it doesn't look that way? Why does it feel so difficult, this holiness thing? And why does it sometimes just feel downright impossible? And you might want to even listen to the folk that are around you that just say, just be yourself. Just be yourself. And if you have been perhaps asking these questions that I wanted to tell you that you are not alone, I have great empathy for you. This is a generation unlike any generation before us. Um, Because for decades, we have been constantly told, for decades, we have been constantly told by psychologists, our teachers, we have been told that we can be whatever we want to be. In fact, we owe it to ourselves to be what we want to be. There is a a song that I think that encapsulates it well, which I spoke about, uh, which I speak about often, but it's the song, Let It Go. Um, The song, Let It Go, has been impressed in my mind because it was dubbed into over 25 languages. In fact, in my Hebrew class, I had to learn Let It Go in Hebrew. And so there is a video of this song, Let It Go, from the movie Frozen. Frozen that you can hear Elsa sing in over 25 languages. You can hear her sing in Mandarin, and all of a sudden, immediately, it would change to Polish. And the more recent movie, Frozen 2, was released and dubbed in over 45 languages. So I've spoken on this before, but this is significant because... Along with, of course, many other songs and works of art in our culture, I believe this encapsulates or uh, captures the essence of our current cultural milieu. In the words of Elsa in the song, Let It Go, It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And so we can, so this is what we have been told, we can become our true selves when we assert our individual desires, especially if it's going against societal norms and traditions, like the traditions that we grew up with, like respect for your elders and authority. And it's the saying, follow your dreams regardless of what anyone else says. Follow your dreams regardless of what anyone else says might be something that you've heard in a recent social media post. And it is not so hidden anymore, the full agenda of that statement. It's follow your dreams regardless of what anyone says, even if it's God. The Bible, however, teaches us otherwise. And we learn that it's not about rules or even no rules, but it's about the right rules. And these right rules must be lived out in order for peace, prosperity, and the promotion of good. But the person does not want to follow an outside set of rules. We want to follow our internal heart's desires. And this is what we call standpoint epistemology. That means because you are not in my shoes, you can't understand what I've been through. Therefore, you do not have authority over my life. That standpoint of epistemology. That has now transcended and continued to mature and grow down into ethnic and identity Gnosticism. Ethnic Gnosticism is a coined term famously by Vodi uh, whom I highly respect. But I believe it's more like identity Gnosticism. Gnosticism or gnosis, which means uh, knowledge in Greek, but it means knowledge that's intuitive. Like, I intuitively know this. Identity Gnosticism is, you don't know what it's like to be my identity, whether it's skin color, race, gender, whatever it is. You don't know what it's like to be in my shoes, so you don't have any truth that you can offer me that is of significance. That is identity Gnosticism which I believe, instead of going deeply into all this, which I believe has led our generation to struggle and deal with something that I'll call narcissistic megalomania. Narcissistic megalomania means I am the ultimate ruler and arbiter of my life. I am the ruler of my life, but narcissistic megalomania really means I should be the one in power. I should be the one in power. And this is what has led and will continue to lead us down this degradation of society where we must silence voices that are not like our own, demand conformity with threat of retaliation, and this constant need for an echo chamber of secular like-mindedness. And for us today, and many of you have Uh, Shared this with me. It can be confusing to navigate through these waters. How can the Christian manage to stay afloat and successfully traverse the dangerous seas? You see, by the grace of God, we have not been left alone. We have not been left alone. We have been given. The very word of God to line up our thoughts and actions up against. But not only that, we've been given the Spirit of God who gives us peace that is transcendent. So even if we were to take the first few verses of this letter and compare it to the climate of today and what it is trying to suck us into, we can look at even verses 1 to 3 and compare it. Does the thi- do the things of the world lead you to worship? When you follow the ways of the world, the ways that the world is demanding of you, does it lead you to worship and honor Jesus Christ? Does it lead you to respect and follow and grow in holiness as the Bible dictates? And secondly, this is what we're going to go over today this morning is does it lead us to heartfelt and genuine thanksgiving? That's the questions we must ask. Does it lead you when you follow the ways that the world is trying to tell you, does it lead you to heartfelt and genuine thanksgiving? Do the things that are happening around us lead us to thanksgiving? Do you see thanksgiving at the end of the current journey or the path that we are on? Do you see thanksgiving in every step or whatever victory that is achieved? Or do you see anger and bitterness building up, coming up to a point where you are being set up? You are being set up so that you are never satisfied. And so now everything must burn. You see, my friends, thanksgiving is a key element in the Christian life where we're reminded, even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, we're reminded to give thanks in all circumstances. Paul, as we'll see in the coming chapters, has every reason, every reason to be angry and upset with the Corinthian church. There is a ton of immorality and over-spiritualization and all these terrible things that are going on. However, however, he starts with the greeting, which we went over last week, and moves on to Thanksgiving, which we are exploring this morning. Thanksgiving in a letter, you can see, was a common address that people may have had, but This thanksgiving, the thanksgiving that Paul puts in his letters, are not like the others. While Paul did commonly open up his letters with thanksgiving and a greeting, they were not generic thanksgivings and greetings. In fact, they will give us a key insight of what will come along in the rest of the letter. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God. That was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul gives thanks, which is the word in Greek, Eucharisto, which is where we get the word Eucharist, which is also commonly known as communion, the table that is set before us. Communion or Eucharist is from the word Eucharisto, which is translated here as thanks or give thanks. And just like communion, is an act of thanksgiving in remembrance that we express when we take or partake in the bread and the cup, when we come together as one church. Thanksgiving is something that must be expressed. Thanksgiving is something that must be expressed. This may go without saying, but it needs to be said just like thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving must be expressed. You may think that you are thankful, but if you don't express it, you have not gone the full length of living out the thankful heart. And Paul here expresses thanksgiving to God. A lot of this secular and common letters would express thanks in the beginning too, but it would give thanks to the receiver of the letter, the recipient. But Paul here gives thanksgiving to God, and he adds, always. Why? Because the grace of God was given you in Christ Jesus. Because of that grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, just like in the greeting, we go back to the salvation that we have been given solely by the grace of God and not by our own merits, but by Christ. If there is one thing we can always be thankful about, it is precisely the fact that we have been saved by Christ. So we had our time of greeting. We turned around and perhaps bowed or waved or did the eye smile. I like our new uh, staff member, uh, his smile, Sam's smile. He smiles with both his mouth and his eyes. And so it's like it comes together, the edges come together. And that is a very welcoming kind of smile. So you might want to learn because the masks cover your mouth now to eye smile. But these are expressions. These are things that we are to do. And when we start to greet one another, the first thing that pops up when we greet one another in Christ is a thankful heart for the salvation of christ for you and me that's what happens when we greet one another in christ a thankful heart starts to develop and it pops up because christ has saved you christ has saved me and i'm thankful for god for that and that is what paul is thankful for in verse 5 that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and understanding, or in all speech and all knowledge. You know, if the first way to understand thanksgiving is that it should be expressed, the second thing that we should know is that true thanksgiving is specific. Specific. It is not generic. If you look at all the other thanksgivings, that Paul opens up his letters with, they are not the same. Look at even 1 Thessalonians. They are specific to the people that he is writing to. And that's why thanksgiving, when it's expressed, needs to be specific. Thankfulness toward your spouse or a loved one, that's the first question I would like to give. Does it naturally come out? whether you're thankful for your siblings or your parents, your spouse, your um, significant other. And so those things, do they naturally come out? And what are you thankful for? And you know how you know that you're really thankful for them? is because it starts to get specific. It's not generic. And so those are things that we see here clearly, clearly in this letter. Uh, If you go, I mean, I don't want you to start asking people and put put them on the spot. But if someone, uh, let's say, wants to really know, you could definitely ask them, what are you thankful for about in this person, in your spouse? And so you can tell. I mean, this is a test in case you do any kind of premarital counseling with me. But if it's generic or if it's specific. Generic is like, you know, I just really like and some generic characteristic. But the more that you learn to love and and mind you, when you first start the premarital counseling, like many of you, some of you have done with me, it it can't be that specific because you don't know each other yet. You think you love each other, but you know, it's just the beginning of the journey. And as you get married, it changes. So I'll ask someone like Pastor Paul, what are you thankful for, joy about? And his wife, and it's very specific. He does, and I don't even have to ask him. When we are together, and I'm not lying, when we're together, he just says what he's thankful for you about. He goes, I like it because my wife has done. And then that thanksgiving comes out. And this is what we see in Paul's letter. This specific thanksgiving that is expressed that you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. And this specific particular thanksgiving is for this church in Corinth, this is the characteristic of the church in Corinth. In every ways Paul says, you were enriched. Enriched is the word <clears throat> uh, which we get the word uh, which is where we get the word plutocrat. Uh, and plutocrat, as you all know, is someone who is Not just wealthy, but very wealthy. Wealthy enough that they have power wealthy. That's where we get the word plutocrat. And this is the word that is used that in Christ, they all had this richness of speech and knowledge. Again, specific, which we will later see are specifically in the gifts of tongue and prophecy. I know you guys are very excited to get there, but I think it takes time and these are steps that we must take. And this is something... That we also see that the Corinthian church will abuse and not use properly. And so Paul will have to correct them. But even though the Corinthian church abuses and doesn't use these gifts properly, like tongue and prophecy, he, it doesn't deter him from giving thanks to God, who is the giver of these gifts. Do you see That is the attitude we should have for one another. When we see a gift in someone, does it lead to the admiration of God who is the giver? Or does it lead us to jealousy and envy or just anger because of the way that you perceive they've misused it? Paul knows how to make that distinction and he does it rightly. And this is also the pastor's heart. By the way, that is a heart that everyone should have, or at least aspire to have. You know, I may be the head pastor, but you are all ministers that are called to edify one another. In verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. This means as the gospel was believed, it has been confirmed. John Calvin rightly observes that God has set his seal to the truth of his gospel among the Corinthians. God set his seal to the truth of his gospel among the Corinthians. How do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you are saved? You believe the gospel rightly. The seal that Calvin mentions is the work of the Holy Spirit, which we see is evident in his church. And some might suggest That the confirmation that Paul is talking about here in verse 6, he's really talking about the signs. And this is where a lot of church people, especially in the charismatic circle, has been confused. They have been confused that the confirmation that verse 6 is talking about is about the signs or two gifts of the tongue and prophecy. But that doesn't make sense because that would clearly be circular reasoning because you wouldn't get that outside of this letter. There is a mistake that many charismatics make today that we will read as we go on forward in this letter that rightly discerning gifts and having criteria to understand what authenticates a gift is necessary to lay out and understand. But instead of having these uh, quasi-tangible like understanding of gifts, what is clear here is that the criteria for the testimony in the words that you see very, very clearly in front of you, is about Christ. Christ is the center. It's centered on Christ. Your confirmation of salvation is centered on Christ, not the gifts. So that's why he goes on to verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So while he is thankful for the two gifts that are evident in the Corinthian church, maturation in Christ will lead them to not lack in any gift. Again, pointing to what? Pointing to the centrality of Christ, not gifts. The centrality of Christ in understanding the confirmation of salvation. And the grammatical structure here in Greek is uh, middle reflexive. Which means it would have led led the reader to understand it similarly. When you read verse 7, it would have led you to read it somewhat like this. So that you don't feel left behind in any gift. So that you don't feel left behind. That's the middle reflexive. So you don't feel left behind in any gift because you only have these two gifts. The two gifts weren't the confirmation. It's Jesus Christ. And again, this has a note of encouragement to the reader. If you only understand the spiritual gifts, let's say from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which was tongue and prophecy, it will not mesh with every other part of the letter, especially this portion of thanksgiving. And as our church fathers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, even Christosom has pointed out, this is about the generosity of God's sovereign gift of himself. And it's shown in a variety of ways. And that is given to us as sheer, unmerited favor. I'm taking time with this so that you get it. You take the notes down, whatever you need to do. Because this is why so many things will go wrong if you don't get this right. Gifts don't put you in a cut above the rest This is what we kind of feel, don't we? When people have certain spiritual gifts, you feel like you're a more mature Christian. You're level two of Christianity through gifts. But this is not how Paul or any part of the Bible would agree with. Paul even challenges this notion when we'll see, when we go through chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is not so that we're cut above anybody. But the word gift is the word charisma in Greek, which is derived from the word charis. Charis in Greek literally means grace. Charisma gift, charis, which is in charisma, means grace. And the verb form of this is charizomai, which means freely give, freely give. So we are to understand these gifts and salvation. We are to understand what these gifts mean and what salvation truly is in verse 7 as we wait. And mind you, I'm not expounding everything. I'm not unpacking everything because these are things that Paul is giving thanks for so that he will continue to unpack as the chapters go on. But we understand these gifts and salvation in Christ in verse 7 as we wait. So salvation has parts like receiving, growing, and now we see waiting. Christians are people who wait in full expectation of the promise of the gift giver. And the gift giver, in fact, is the ultimate gift. The ultimate gift is Jesus Christ. The word revealing that we see here is from the word apocalypse, which refers to the second coming the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that we have in salvation, that Christ is coming again. And in verse 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And until the parousia, Christ is the one that will sustain you. So from the ultimate hope from Christ for who, uh, who is the ultimate gift, Christ is also the ultimate promise of perseverance Christ is doing all these things. How long will we be sustained? And it says here, to the end, tell us, which should bring us to Jesus declaring that he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. How long will Christ sustain you to the very end? That is the promise that we have been given. How long will you be able to persevere if you have salvation in Christ? Christ is the guarantee. To the very end and paul here signs off this last verse by saying god is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son jesus christ our lord god is faithful is pistos which means faithful or trustworthy or reliable consistent dependable we have every reason to trust god because what he begins he will carry through to completion This is why Paul is thankful, and this is why we can be thankful. All these reasons here are why we can be thankful when we look at each other, because the promise is God will never give you up. God will never give you up. And by his calling, in the end of verse 9, we are now in the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. We have been invited into the fellowship, koinonia, with not just anybody. It's not just any kind of fellowship, but with Jesus Christ. The word fellowship will lead us into verse 10, which we'll go on to next week. But there is something that you may have noticed in the greeting and the thanksgiving for the past two weeks. In every sentence, in every verse, Christ is mentioned. Christ is mentioned in every single verse of this opening. This is a man who is obsessed with Christ. This is someone who, when, we talk, when he talks about Christ, he gets excited. He, he's not bored. He's excited. Christ in every sentence, every sentence that he speaks, when he greets someone, when he is giving thanksgiving, he has Christ in it, and he is obsessed. Christ is central to our understanding of the church, and Christ is central to our thanksgiving as Christians The reason why any and every Christian can make a confident and heartfelt thanksgiving is because of Christ That is precisely what the world does not have The world is temporal it is fleeting So if your thanksgiving and happiness is dependent on something that the world offers, don't be surprised when your thanksgiving stops. Truly thankful people know who Christ is and can continue to look to him for the gifts and fellowship. This is the blessing Christ gives his children. This is because to know Christ, then, is to love him. Paul mentions and lingers over the name of Christ over and over again. And he does it in such a loving manner. And this is what we are also being taught and shown in his word. This is why it's exciting to go through every verse, because the more I know him, the more I love him. And in affection, there is heartfelt Thanksgiving no matter what season no matter what climate that we're in this year marks uh, the 400th anniversary of when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower we we classically know them as pilgrims but we named them pilgrims but they were Puritans they were Puritans um, that were being persecuted for their religious beliefs and they wanted to worship God the God of the Bible So they traversed the sea, they traversed the dangerous waters. It was dangerous. Through that trip, they lost half of the people that first initially set out, half. They all died. It was a horrendous and difficult trip. Even after they landed, they finally got to their destination. Even after they landed, the winter was really bad and they're recording People's, people as people were writing their record their spouses would be dying and people would be left without many of their family members it was a really hard and dreadful winter but you see the pilgrims didn't stop and say you know what this this is terrible they still chose to give thanksgiving they still chose to give thanksgiving even through that. That is our legacy. Do you understand? That is our legacy as Christians, people who traveled over the sea so that we can rightly worship God. And even if they lost half their people, we are able to worship God here in this country today because of the pilgrims, because of what we saw in the Mayflower. That, this is why. And this, all these things, if you read the accounts, it's crazy they, they lost half their people. They were about to starve to death. People were sick. People were dying. The neighboring tribes could have easily wiped them out. They could have been like, we don't like these guys. They're taking up our land. But they didn't. They, in fact, uh, enabled a friendly relationship with uh, the pilgrims so that we are able to have this picture of the classic traditional Thanksgiving that you see. And so there are records of this, and you know I, I don't want to get too much into it, But that's the thing. Like, what are we traversing now? Do we have reason for thanksgiving? And my answer is yes. Yes, we do. Emphatically, yes, we do. Because no matter what happens, God is with his people. God has saved you. God has saved me. And we can be incredibly thankful. God in his glorious riches has given us everything that we need. We are not lacking in any gift because we have Christ. We have everything that we need here in CGS to not just be sustained but to thrive. But that sustaining is also promised. We won't be shut down. We won't be eliminated. We won't be destroyed because that is God's promise to the church. So do we have reason for thanksgiving? I think emphatically, yes, we do. And so that's my question to you today. When you look around, when you look around where you are, does it spurn your heart toward thanksgiving to God? Has he revealed to you his graciousness through Jesus Christ, that he has given you everything that you've needed. It it doesn't mean life might be easy. Of course not. Life will be tough. However, the promise is we will be given everything that we need, whether it's easy or difficult. When you look around, does the Holy Spirit spurn your heart toward thanksgiving? And if it does, then I want to encourage you Express it. Express it in worship, in song, in speech. Express it. Express it to one another. I want you to express it to your spouses, to your siblings, to your brother, to your sister, to your children, to your parents. Express the thanksgiving that you have. And if they are believers, oh, so much more reason to be thankful for. Am I right? So much more reason because your life with them doesn't end right here, but it goes on for eternity, and that is guaranteed in Christ. Express it, number one, and number two, be specific about it. And you know how you can be specific about your thanksgiving? Is when you pray. I can tell when someone has been praying for somebody because the thanksgiving that they express to God becomes more and more specific. When you don't pray a prayer of thanksgiving, it becomes very generic. And I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but it really is. Let's say, for example, we ask people to pray for our deacons. Our deacons are people who need our prayers. They are officers of the church. Uh, because of them, God has set, a, set up a system where we can have people who will continue to foster unity in the church, uh, who will continue to bring out gifts of mercy. However, when you start praying for the deacons, can you be specific? And the more specific you are, the more I know, the more you should know through the Bible that you have been praying for them. When it's generic, not so much. So I want you to take away these two points, especially today. No matter what, we have every reason to be thanks, thankful. We have every reason to give a heartfelt thanksgiving to God. And the way we do it is with our expressions and being, by being specific. And this is also how we ought to worship God. We express it and we are specific about that expression. That's what we go into every detail of confession, and there's this order. There's even a standing up and sitting down. These specific things point to a heart of genuine thanksgiving. It's not just simply for tradition. Tradition comes from somewhere, and this is where it came from. It came from a thankful heart. And even the offerings that are given in the Old Testament. The the offering that is highlighted in the Bible in the Old Testament, even when they were making the tabernacle, are offerings of thanksgiving. This is the key to the Christian life that you cannot miss. The Christian life is a thankful life. Are you thankful? The pilgrims chose thanksgiving. I pray that we as a church will also choose thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us as a church, as individuals, all that you do for us now, where we are in supply of everything that we need, and we are not lacking in anything because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gives to his children graciously. And so, Lord, help us now to reflect that into heartfelt thanksgiving and i pray that we would be a church that is overflowing with worship praise and thanksgiving to our god let's take this time to pray and just as we have been encouraged in the word let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving express it in your prayers be specific and lift it up to our lord